to go ahead and read the entire psalm, but tonight we will be focusing on verses 7 through 11. Psalm 63. O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. Because you have been my help, therefore in the shadow of your wings I rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek my life to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him shall glory. But the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. Let's open in prayer. God, I thank you for this evening. I thank you for this day that you have given to us. This is your day. You have simply allowed us to live in it, to walk through our days. I pray that we would have used today for your glory. God, I pray that we would use the rest of tonight for your glory. Every breath we have is a breath that was given by you. So I pray that every breath we would breathe for you. God, please guide this time in the word tonight. Let me speak well. Let it be profitable for those who hear. May you be honored in all that we say and do. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you know the name Samuel Bellamy? I'm not necessarily expecting any of you to know the name, but he was probably the richest pirate that ever lived. This guy had hordes and hordes and hordes of wealth. He just kept piling it up and piling it up. And we don't really know the name. We're more familiar with probably Blackbeard or pirates such as that. But Samuel Bellamy was a really rich pirate. And really, when we think about pirates, we often think of treasure chests and gold and looting and all that stuff related to it, right? You think of money and wealth with pirates. But it's not like they get a bunch of wealth so that they can save up for their next big purchase. Pirates are known for hoarding wealth. At least that's what I think of them for. And when they get it, they don't want to lose it. But they keep wanting more and getting more and keeping it. That's why there's treasure chests buried in the sand somewhere. Because they're making sure that nobody gets to it. That's why they carry their big stores of gold around with them. Or leave it at some defended town. Because they want to make sure that they keep the gold. They want to make sure that nobody can take it away. And that they're going to have that gold no matter what until the day they die. That is a pirate's goal, at least all the ones I've talked to. So that goal, that's an interesting goal, right? You just want to keep gathering money and you don't want to lose that money. 
Well, it's, it's similar to the train of thought that we need to have towards God. We can't hoard up more of God. We can't just keep getting more of God. But we have a relationship with God. And what we're going to see in this psalm is that David clings to God. He's not willing to let God go. And that's what we need to imitate. So looking at the psalm, we're going to start in verse 8 and see that we need to cling to God. David says, My soul follows close behind you. So this is actually a really awkward phrase to translate because it kind of means to cleave unto something. It's like to stick yourself to something and to not let go. So the New King James translated follows close behind you. And that does carry the idea of it. David in this phrase is saying that he is going to stick close to God. If you remember, as we've seen in this psalm already, we saw David desired God and still desires God. We saw that he sought after God. He went to find God. He sought God early in the morning because he desired God. We saw that he praised God. Then we saw David's satisfaction with God. We saw him being satisfied with God and God alone, with only God. We saw him, again, meditating on God and rejoicing in God. So David, in this whole psalm, is talking about this desire and this pursuit of God that he has. But now, as we're coming to the close of the psalm, in this third week in preaching on it, David says, I have this relationship with God. I have sought God. I have looked in the sanctuary. I meditate him on the night. Meditate on him in the night. And he says, and I will hold fast to God. I will cling to my relationship with God and not let it drift to the side. Now, David is not here saying that he can lose his salvation or that if he doesn't cling to God, who knows, maybe God will let him go. That's not what he's saying at all. He's not talking about his salvation. He's not talking about his status. But he's talking about the intimacy of his relationship. So David is going to stay a child of God no matter what. David is going to stay saved no matter what. There's nothing can take that away. And we see that very clearly in Scripture. But David doesn't want to lose the intimate fellowship that he has with God. So as David has been seeking God and finding his satisfaction in God, he has this fellowship with God, this relationship with God that he's living out. And he is not willing to let that go to the side. David is not content to simply have God, to seek God once and let it go away. David is saying, God, I'm seeking you and I will never stop. God, I'm looking for you in the sanctuary and I will not stop doing that. God, I desire you and I will keep desiring you. I will cling to you so nothing can take you away. He's not going to let the busyness of life take away his pursuit of God. He's not going to let the difficulties of life. He's in the wilderness, fleeing probably for his life from either Saul or Absalom. Or maybe somebody else I don't know about. But he's in the wilderness at this point. That's a difficult time of life. He is in the dry and thirsty land with no water. And he's not going to let that have any effect on his relationship with God. His relationship for God is not based on these circumstances. He is going to cling 
to God. But it's not just David doing the clinging. And isn't that wonderful? Because if it was me trying to hold on to something, if it was me trying to hold on to God and he didn't want to hold back, well, there's nothing I can do. It's like trying to catch a greased pig. You can never quite grab onto it. But it's not just David. Because you see in verse 8, he says, My soul follows close behind you. I cling to you. And he says, Your right hand upholds me. Rather than it just being David vainly pursuing God, David is clinging to God as God upholds him. This is the wonderful reality of our salvation. I have been saved, redeemed. I've been called a child of God and I cling to God. And he is the one that holds me fast. And if God be for me, who can be against me? How wonderful that is. And what a confidence that gives. Because if God is clinging to him, if God's right hand upholds David, nothing's going to take him out of that hand. Nothing can take him out of the right hand of God upholding him. Nothing can separate him from God's love holding him fast. So David can pursue God, can cling to God with confidence, knowing that his clinging can never be taken away because God holds him. And that's amazing. And sometimes it doesn't feel like we're held, right? Sometimes it feels like we're kind of drifting away maybe. It doesn't always feel like we're held secure in God's hand. Sometimes life gets hard and it just doesn't feel like that. I am so glad that this life isn't based on feelings. I'm so glad that God holds me whether I feel like it or not. And that's the confidence that we can have. I've never gone bungee jumping, but for most of the time when you jump off and you fall, it's just a free fall. It doesn't feel like anything's holding you. And that's why people often scream on the way down, because they're just falling. So as you, you're on this ledge, you have this bungee cord attached to your ankles, and you just jump off. And sometimes in our lives, we feel like we're just falling. We feel like we're not being held by anything. We feel like our lives are spiraling out of control. This thing we never thought would happen, happened. This situation we never wanted to be in, we're in. Maybe it was a health problem. Maybe it was a difficult relationship with family. Maybe it was a hard situation with work. I don't know. But sometimes it doesn't feel like that. But just like the person falling doesn't feel the bungee cord, all they feel is the falling, they're held anyway. And you, if you are a child of God, you are held anyway. No matter what you're going through, you are held by God. So as you know that you are held by God, cling to him. I've talked about desiring God, about being satisfied in God. But don't just be satisfied by God for a day, for a week, for a month. Don't just desire God in the morning or on Sundays but cling to God and never let that go. Order your days around pursuing God. Have your thoughts be on God throughout the day. Meditate on him, as we saw before. 
And don't let that get taken away. Don't let that get pushed away by the busyness or the difficulty of life or even the ease of life. Don't let the ease of your life push God out of the focus. But cling to him through it all. So as David describes this great clinging that he has to God and the trust that he has that God holds him, he talks about, suddenly, those who seek his life to destroy it. In verses 9 and 10, he describes the other people. So in verse 8, we see the people that cling to God, that God holds on to. But in verses 9 and 10, we see the opposite side. So as we see that we need to cling to God, we see that we need to trust in God in the first place. That's what we're going to see in verses 9 and 10. David says, But those who seek my life, it's interesting noticing the language of seeking. Because remember the beginning of the psalm? What's David doing? He's seeking God. It's almost like a contrast here. We have two groups of people. We have David seeking God. David putting his time and energy and effort into his relationship with God, with going after his great Lord. And on the other side, over here, we have the people that seek David's life. They're not seeking God. Their focus, their mind, their gaze, it's not upon honoring God, upon serving God, upon knowing God better. They're not meditating on God. But rather, we see they're seeking David. They're seeking his life so that they might destroy him. That's what he says in verse 9. Those who seek my life to destroy it. This, if you didn't get it by now, is referring to unsaved individuals. They're not seeking God. They don't have this relationship with God to start out with. And we see that in their focus. There's a, a law called the law of non-contradiction. And this isn't the type of law where if you break it, you go to prison. It's the type of law that is impossible to break. It's in logic. And it basically means that something cannot both be something and not be something in the same way and in the same place at the same time. So it cannot both be raining and not raining right here, right now. I cannot both be saved and unsaved. It's one or the other. They, they can never go together. In geometry terms, it's called they're mutually exclusive. They just don't go together. So here we see two perspectives, seeking God and seeking David's life to kill it. These two perspectives don't go together. You cannot both seek God and seek something opposed to God at the same time. You cannot both be spending your life going in a direction towards God and away from God at the same time. It's one or the other. And that's the contrast that we see here. David seeking God, others not seeking God. They don't go together. And David describes the end of these individuals. He says, They shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword they shall be a portion for jackals. What a wonderfully bleak description. This is the end of those who, instead of seeking God, seek David's life. And really, you could say, instead of seeking God, seek fill in the blank. Doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to fall into a great big pit 
and descend into the lower parts of the earth. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to die in battle, wielding a sword. It doesn't necessarily mean that a bunch of hyenas are going to dispose of them later. It's not necessarily saying that. It's just saying they're going to come to utter destruction. What greater destruction is there than going into the lower parts of the earth, falling by the sword, and being apportioned for jackals? It's complete and utter destruction and woe upon those who do not seek God. And that is what David says here. And that's not particularly a pleasant thing. That's not just this wonderful, cheery thought that we love to think about. But it's what David says right here. You either seek God or you face utter destruction. You either seek God or you are under condemnation. The unsaved, when they're not seeking God, they're not looking at a life full of possibilities, full of hope, full of wonder, looking at what's before them. At most, they have a puff of wind here on this earth. And that's a really bleak thing. So let me just call you right now, evangelize. Share the gospel. If you're in verse 8, if you are clinging to God and if you are upheld by God's right hand, how can you stand there in God's hand and not share the gospel, share this wonderful hope with those who are facing utter woe and destruction and condemnation? How can you sit up here, upheld by God's hand in comfort, watching others in condemnation? So share the gospel. Be faithful. Go out of your way to share the gospel because we know what their end is. So we need to seek God. But obviously we can't always be seeking God as in reading the Bible 100% of the time or praying 100% of the time. And I, I said earlier, you can't seek God and something else at the same time. It's either God, and if you try to say God and, it's actually just the and. So how does this work with our normal lives? Well, seeking God isn't just one action. It's not just one thing that you do and that's seeking God. And that's the only thing that you can do. Actually, you can seek God through living your life in a way that honors him. I'm called to love my wife. If I love my wife, that is part of seeking God. I am loving God by following his commands and loving my wife. If God says to be honest, and I am intentionally honest, that's seeking God. I'm obeying him. I'm serving him. And so, even though we can't just spend 100% of our time reading the Bible, we can seek God every moment of every day. And we should. So I would call you tonight, as you cling to God, as you are upheld by God, seek the things that pertain to God. Live in a way that is obedient to him. Live in a way that is honoring to him. If you're not saved, you need to be saved. I mean, we see that here. You can't seek the things of God if you're actively seeking something in the opposite direction. So seek God if you have never sought him at all. But if you have sought God, if you are seeking God, then live a life that shows it. Live a life that makes it clear where your priorities are. 
Live a life that makes it obvious who and what you are seeking. So then, David continues in this psalm. We see clinging unto God. We see that we are to cling unto God. We see that we need to trust and seek God. And then, we see rejoicing in God again. In verse 11, it says, But the king shall rejoice in God. Now, this, the fact that he says the king means one of two things. If he's running away from Saul in the wilderness, it means that he's looking forward to his future hope, because God had promised that he would be king. If he's running away from Absalom in the wilderness, he's still putting his hope and trust in God, and recognizing that even though Absalom is on the throne for now, David is still the king. So either way, we don't know which situation this is taking place in, but either way, David is expressing trust in God, and he's giving a result of that trust. He's trusting God, and he's rejoicing in God. And this is in a contrast. It says, but the king shall rejoice in God. This is the contrast. So this group of people is condemned is facing utter destruction and woe, and David over here is rejoicing in God because he knows who his God is, because he's pursuing God, because he's desiring God, because he is upheld by God. We see earlier in the psalm that God has been his help, therefore in the shadow of his wings he will rejoice. David again rejoices in God. He's repeated that a couple times in this psalm. I think it's kind of important. We are to rejoice in God. And that is the result of trusting and clinging. You can't cling to God and not rejoice. You can't recognize that you are upheld by God's right hand and not rejoice in that. How could you? That's such a wonderful thing. There's nothing to do but to rejoice. You cannot help but rejoice when you see that God upholds you. When you trust in God, when you know the hope that you have in God, there is no cause, there's no greater cause to rejoice than that. And he says, everyone who swears by him, everyone who swears by God shall glory. In that culture, often people would swear by the king. But that was expressing their trust in the king and their subservience to the king. When they would swear by the king... They're saying that they are servants, loyal servants of that king. I wouldn't swear by the king of Nineveh if I'm an Israelite. But, so David's not just talking about, you know, making his promises in the name of God. He's expressing his service to God. He's saying every single person, everyone who swears by God, who puts their trust in God, who is serving God, Everyone who is a servant of God shall glory. And that is so true. Every single person who is a servant to God shall glory. There's no person who is a servant of God who is not saved. There is no person who is a servant of God who has not been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Every spiritual blessing. There is no person who is a servant of God, who cannot cry, Abba, Father, who does not have the Spirit as a witness, who does not have the seal of the Holy Spirit. 
There is no person who is a servant of God that does not have eternal security. And so every single servant of God shall glory because we all are richly blessed in God. Service to God is not some hard service. It is not a labor to serve God. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And as you look in that passage, the yoke and the burden is humble service. And that humble service is light and easy. How can we not glory in serving God, in this wonderful privilege of spending our lives for our King? Truly, we all shall glory in that. And he again gives the contrast. But the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. Even though for now, in the moment, they speak lies, David has this future hope, trusting in God's judgment, trusting in God's justice and in his mercy. And he says, The mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. It shall not continue forever. But God's justice shall be shown. What a wonderful hope that we have in God through that. But there's a question here. So if as you submit to God, you rejoice, can I submit to God without rejoicing? Well, I think we answered that no. If you're submitting to God, you really should be rejoicing in God. But what about rejoicing without submission? Isn't that what we see a lot of in the world? A lot of people rejoicing, having the time of their lives, but not submitting to God? Isn't that what the world offers? When we look at the world, it says, hey, this is hope, this is fulfillment, this is joy. This is where you will be satisfied. This is where you will rejoice in your life. And then we look at the world and they appear to be rejoicing, but they're obviously not submitting. But let me just say, the rejoicing of this world, sure, you can rejoice for a minute or two. But this life, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. It's just a puff of smoke. It's here and it's gone. And the pleasures of the world, they don't satisfy. You can never be satisfied in the things of the world. They can never fulfill. God has put eternity in our hearts as he says in Ecclesiastes. The world can't fill that. So they can rejoice for a moment, but it's not real rejoicing. If you're going to really rejoice, you're going to really submit. And the world can't offer that. So submit to God. My call to you tonight, as we close this three-week series, desire God. Seek God. Be satisfied in God, in God alone. Cling unto God, hold unto him, so that nothing can take you apart from your God, so that nothing can distract you from your relationship with God, so that you keep it focused and center all the time and submit your life to God. Take your desires, your goals, your ambitions, and submit them to God. Thy will be done. Take every moment of every day and think about how you can use it to best serve your God. When the world promises one thing and God says another, submit to God. 
Love God. Serve God every moment, every day. Let's close in prayer. God, you truly have been so good to us. The fact that I am upheld by your right hand is a truth more wonderful than I can even begin to grasp. God, there is nothing I can do to separate myself from you. There is nothing that I can do to remove myself from your care. And that is wonderful. So God, I pray that I would not grow complacent knowing that I am secure. But I pray that I would use that security as opportunity to strive all the more earnestly to yield my life to you, to yield my desires to you. God, I pray that every moment of every day, every breath I take would rejoice in you because I am submitting to you. Change my heart to be more inclined to love to serve you every single day. I pray for this church that we as a church would desire you, that we would not desire ritual or church or services, but that we would desire you. I pray that we as a church would not grow complacent in the freedoms that we have in this country. I pray that we would not grow complacent with this nice building, with the people of this church, but I pray that we would strive all the more earnestly to love and to serve you. I pray that we would be a church that obviously desires you. And God, I know as we desire you, we shall be satisfied. There is no satisfaction apart from you, and you are complete and total satisfaction. I can be content and rejoicing no matter what happens because I have you, and you are far more than enough. You're not just enough to get by. You are more than enough for all eternity, eternity upon eternity. So God, I pray again that we would submit. In Jesus' name, amen.